1: All right, it's opening day, should be a national holiday, the Tampa Bay Rays hosting the Baltimore Orioles, first pitch three ten. and my, oh my, we got a treat for you, Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times, who covers the Rays, joins us now, and Mark, I I just want to say happy opening day, first and foremost, Um, this this has been a unique spring, to say the least, it's been abbreviated, but it seems like you navigated it well, and here we are, Um, all the CBA stuff is behind us, and we're ready to go.
2: Yeah, Rick, it was such a weird spring. I mean, obviously, we had no idea when it was going to start. And in fact, it looked like at one point it was going to be into, you know, late April or May, maybe till the season started when the talks, the negotiation talks, CBA talks broke off past the deadline that we all thought was the deadline. But apparently a deadline isn't a deadline to Rob Manfred because he gave them a new deadline. And they went past that by one day and made a deal. And spring training started almost about a month late. They extended it about a week or so. So it Kind of ended up being about a three, three and a half week spring training. It was like 25 days from the first day of camp to the opening day or something. So uh, a little bit rushed, but, and I'll tell you, and it's weird. There were days when I felt like I just got there and there were days when I couldn't believe it wasn't over yet. And they were like back to back (laughs) days. Like it happened like (laughs) on a Tuesday and a Wednesday. Like it was just that kind of a weird spring and i I skipped out a week for my daughter's wedding, so that kind of threw it off. There were guys that got cut that I didn't know who they were, so that was kind of cool. <laughs> but but better than it being guys that made the team, I didn't know who they were. So I was kind of looking positive there.
1: Well, that's usually that's – that's me. I, I don't try to get attached to anybody that's not on the final roster, so I don't even bother seeing who they are half the time. But you made it through there. You're, congratulations to you and especially your daughter, Carlin. I mean, they, she's gotten married now. I can't believe that our children are old enough to be married, but that is the case and uh you you look like a very uh proud father as as we would expect you to be so that had to be quite an event in the middle of spring training so good for her she got you out of a couple days anyway
2: she did she did when when she was talking about dates um she was Being a baseball writer's daughter, she knew pretty much like April 1 through mid-October was (laughs) going to be off the table there. And she was kind of dancing around about they wanted to do it outside. It might be cold November, December. And I said, (laughs) you can do March if you want. Just don't do it at the end of March. And and sure enough, she found a a date. It was a beautiful ceremony outdoors downtown St. Pete. Great time was had by all. I'm very proud and a little bit poorer.
1: Well, I imagine so. And and so you've got to get out there and, and, and earn your paper, as they say. Um, let me start with uh, which was the latest news that uh, may have caught some people by surprise. Maybe not. I mean, um, Austin Meadows is a guy that uh, had an unbelievable year, really a number of years, but he led the team in RBIs. He is primarily or exclusively, I guess, a left-handed DH at this point. He's not uh, really that adept as an outfielder, and God knows they have enough outfielders. I think Mark on, on at first glance there might have been some Rays fans, I'm sure you heard from them that said, Wow, it really didn't seem like they got a lot for Austin Meadows. But this was really as much about Josh Lowe as it is Austin Meadows, right?
2: It is, and it's hard to think that way if you're a fan and you know, you're wondering, you know, if this guy is so good, as you said, he led the team at Homers in twenty nineteen with thirty three, made the all-star team. Led the team at RBIs last year, first 100 RBI guy for a race since Longo, so a very significant accomplishment. Why would you not get much for him? And, and, you know, you, sometimes you do your own reporting and you come to your own conclusion. Sometimes you need, you know, a little influence, a little opinion, or a little explanation from the team. And the best I can tell you, Rick, is they do like the guy they got quite a bit, uh, Isaac Paradise, who is going to be kind of like Yandy Light, is, is what I kind of take on that. He's a a strong big strong guy can play second can play third could handle a game or two it's short if you needed him to but mm-hmm. very good plate discipline he's going to develop into some power so kind of think of him as maybe the next yondi they pick up an extra draft pick which we know is big currency around here because you can only trade uh the the competitive balance picks in the international uh, draft if they do it but you can't trade regular draft picks so to get an extra pick in the top 65 or 70 is kind of a big deal but this was similar in a way to when they traded Willie Adamas last year. And we didn't really think J.P. Eisen and Drew Rasmussen seemed like a good return. And it turned out they actually were. Both guys are going to be on the opening day roster. But it was kind of like, huh, that's weird. But part of it was opening space. I mean, obviously, first Taylor Walls came up. And then this Wander Franco guy, who I think is going to be pretty good.
1: Yeah.
2: Same thing this year. The Rays are very high on Josh Lowe Josh Low, mm. and it's not Low; it's low. He goes mm. the normal pronunciation, younger brother of Nate, who was <laughs> here for a couple of years, now plays for Texas. So right. uh, Josh Lowe is the guy the Rays rate very highly. He was MVP at AAA Durham last year, had their first twenty twenty season in ten or fifteen years or something. Uh Eric Neander literally in the same breath of saying, I don't want to, you know, put pressure on Josh and make this all about Josh period pause we think he's the potential to be an all-star <laughs> i oh, mean like geez. they couldn't even contain themselves in not putting pressure on him they think <laughs> this guy's gonna be really good so <laughs> this opened up an avenue look they say four million dollars yes was it a salary dump i don't think so as we're as we're doing this interview i've been sitting here playing with salary figures i think this is going to be the largest payroll in raise history so this this wasn't like dumping salary because you're cheap or you're not, not you don't care or the very things that people throw around they they're pretty annoyed they got knocked out in the first round last year. They want to win. They didn't sign Corey Kluber for the heck of it uh, and take a gamble on him that could cost them, you know, fifteen or $13 million if he hits his all his starts. They didn't make some of the other moves. They didn't, you know, add Luke Riley to the bullpen, where a $10 million guaranteed multi-year deal, which they rarely do for relievers. I mean, they are trying to figure this thing out and, and get deep into the playoffs, get back to the World Series, and... Look, if they think Josh Lowe is a better player than Austin Meadows, you know I, I think you, know, you at least give them the courtesy of letting them prove themselves right or wrong.
1: Yeah, and, and to that point, I think um, maybe it was 24 hours later they signed Manuel Margot to an extension, so um, they didn't have any trouble spending money on him. So, so Lowe, tell me, tell me about him. Um, obviously, you don't need another outfielder per se, uh, he's going to DH, correct? What What else do they expect from him? A, a power bat, right, in the lineup?
2: Yeah, he's got. He, he's He's kind of like Rick Stroud in Little League. I mean, he's a five tool guy, <laughs> except he kept all five tools. So there's the difference. And, <laughs> right. Yeah, he, he He is a lefty hitter, uh, which ideally in a perfect world he would have been a right handed hitter. But I think it's too late to change him. So he's a lefty hitter. He's a really good base runner. He was 26 for 26 and stolen bases mm. at AAA had one steal during his two-day call-up last year with the Rays, and somebody told me that, they, that you know the clock they keep on the break time and everything was the fastest one that anybody remembered in Rays' history around here. Jeez. So he's a really good base runner. He, he's not a Kiermaier in the outfield, but he can mm. hold his own with Margot and Phillips. So you've literally got four really? center wow. fielders that you can have out there pretty much. any time. I mean, put it this way. Randy wow. Rosarena was a finalist for the Gold Glove in left field last year, and he's clearly the worst defensive outfielder of the five they now have. Jeez. I mean, that's how I, good I, these other four guys are. Josh wow. has a good arm. He's got decent play discipline. Uh, he puts the ball in play. The power's coming. He hit you know 20-plus homers last year, obviously, yeah. uh, and they expect more. So this is a guy, I mean, I'm not saying he's the next Wander Franco, but he's a guy that's going to be a really good player potentially for a long time here, assuming good health, assuming you know nothing weird happens on the development track. But they're pretty confident. You know, he was a first-round pick as an infielder. They prick early on, moved him to the outfield, and he's pretty good out there. So I I think what you're going to see that just kind of run on here is he'll DH some, which is not ideal for a 24-year-old, first time in the big leagues. But part of the way they're kind of spinning this is by getting rid of Meadows, who really was going to be the primary left-handed DH, who wasn't a very good base runner, who kind of clogged things up, didn't have much Mm -hmm. of an arm. Mm -hmm. They're going to basically rotate this DH spot now, and let's say there's a, in a two week period, you're gonna give Brandon Lau two days off his two days off, right? So now yeah. maybe you give Brandon Lau one day off and he plays that other game as the DH because you could rotate the DH around. You could do the same thing with the Rosarena on a day where you want to go to lefty outfielders, but you you know, let's throw a right-handed bat in there. Their bullpen's vulnerable to left to mm-hmm. right-handed, you know, right hand lefty pitchers, righty hitters, you want more in there? You know, throw Rosarena into the DH spot. So I think they're gonna to try to maximize uh, and increase some guys' playing time by using that as kind of the old rest day mentality by rotating it amongst four or five of them. G-Man Choi will probably get more DH than he, time now than he would have trying to keep him healthy. Something always seems to come up with him. Use him in the DH spot, let Yandi play first base a little bit more. So I think there's going to be some kind of secondary and tertiary benefit to this that they're going to try to maximize.
1: A lot more flexibility for sure in the lineup for Kevin Cash, who, as you have said, his goal is to have 162 lineups. If he can do that, it came pretty close last year. Um, we'll see if that's the case. I, I, I want to. We'll get to all the position players, not all of them, but we'll get to the, the, main, the main stars here in a minute. And this is just another young player. What I love about this Rays team is their athleticism is off the chart, and they're a bunch of young guys, core guys, uh, some of them have, who have been locked up now. This is not just a, a one- or two-year proposition. I mean, I think fans are going to get to – have already begun to fall in love with this team. They're going to be here for a while. But so much of, of of any season, Mark, is about pitching, and you know I I look at at uh, their starting pitching. Let's begin there, um, and Shane McClanahan is going to be the you know uh, the opening day starter today, uh, which is a, a great honor for him, of course, former USF star. Um, but then you've got guys like Louis Patino and and Drew Rasmussen, and and you mentioned Kluber, but uh, Ryan Yarbrough has has had a pretty good spring, so. They're really putting a lot on young, talented guys as opposed to, you know, we, we've seen not too many years ago, it was Charlie Morton, that kind of thing. Um, so th- they, must, they must think these guys are, are going are gonna to uh, step up. And in addition to that, the abbreviated spring training means, as the Rays often do, they're going to need innings from everybody. It's not going to be, uh, uh, you know, four guys throwing 200 innings each.
2: No, it isn't. And, 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 you know, I think it's actually probably newsworthy to mention, at least to start the season, at least the first time through the order, from what they're telling us, they're actually going to just use five starters, like five days in a row. Like, what a concept. No opener, Whoa. no skipping a guy, no piggyback stars. Like, this is just going to be like five guys go out there, pitch till you're tired, and we'll take you out and put somebody else in. So, a little different raise wise but... I do think the short and spring factor to that, I think Ryan Yarbrough early on is going to be very key. They are counting on him to kind of be that guy that, you know, maybe you have to wear it sometimes when the game goes the wrong way early on, but go out there and give them five or six innings, give them 85 pitches, you know, each time these first couple times through the order to yeah. get caught up a little bit. Um, I, I do think if you want to be fair and, and critical about this, maybe the most vulnerable area to them to, on this team, and they could impact their chances to not, get to the playoffs to not get deep in the playoffs is this young pitching because that's just unproven. You don't know. Right. Louis Patino pitched his second spring training game on Wednesday. He didn't look very good. He says he's mm. fine, he had a little shoulder thing. He's over that. They say he's healthy. But you mm. know, what does he do when he goes out and faces Oakland, you know, next week? Does he pitch like he can pitch or does he pitch like he looked against the Phillies on Wednesday and barely got through three innings and, you know, it just looked terrible. Mm. So I, that's going to be key. Rasmussen's going to be on some kind of innings limit. They're going to use him early because they need to cover some, some innings early on. Shane Boz is going to open on the DL, so he's not or the IL. He's not going to be available for the first month or so, maybe into June even, late May, June. Had a little loose body bone chip removed from his elbow. So I think these young guys are going to be pretty key. Now, Yanni Chirinos is going to be back at some point, maybe June or so. I mean, Tyler Glass now, maybe at the very end of the year, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about him. I think you have to assume he's not going to be back. And if he, if he does, it's a bonus, but you know, there's some other guys that they have uh, made the team that came back from injuries last year. Jalen Beeks is going to start the year as a multi-inning reliever. He can move into a starting spot if they needed to. Josh Fleming is going to make the team or made the team. He's going to be a kind of a flexible multi-inning reliever. So, They've got some other depth, but getting Boz healthy and what they get out of Patino, Rasmussen, and McClanahan, those three guys, I mean, are they going to, you know, let's just sit here and do the math. Are they going to be five, six innings every start and, you know, keep you in a game, be competitive? The Rays would take that every time. But if they're going to have a couple of those two or three innings where they give up a bunch early and they got to blow out the bullpen and then, you know, they open the season playing 13 in a row. They start today and play 13 straight days. They go to Chicago. They're going to have cold weather there. They're there all week playing the White Sox and the Cubs. I mean, There's some hurdles really early on here that they're going to have to kind of navigate. And I think a lot of it's going to be tied to the success or failure of the young pitchers.
1: Yeah, and I I think they have a lot of confidence in them, but it it is going to do that. You know, last year when they got Rasmussen, I mean, I didn't, you know, it looked like he was a bullpen guy. He eventually morphed into a starter. Mark, he was dominant uh, at times, a strike thrower. Um, They they plan on keeping him in, in the starting rotation this time, right?
2: They do for now, and like I said, he'll have some kind of innings limit, Rick, but I, I think they almost have to make the decision is use him fairly regularly early on, and then if you've got to kind of, you know, back him off a little midseason, sure. then you're going to want him back at the end, obviously. But I think just because of where they are and then having Boz Hurt kind of forces them to use Rasmussen pretty much as a straight-up starter. Now, you know, look, I think Fleming will be – they'll be sure that Fleming or Beeks is fresh on the days, I would think, that Rasmussen and Patino pitch – so they know they have somebody they can go to and give them a couple innings. Uh, Chris Mazza, that, that was kind of the final roster decision, assuming they end up with him as their guy, could be a right-handed long reliever, same kind of thing. So I think they're going to make sure to have one of those long relievers you know, clear for duty on the day that the two guys that have a little bit of an inning question, Rasmussen and Patino, start.
1: And, I mean, they look, they went and got uh, Kluber, who – I would think on this staff, I and mean, then you like to have this, right? Here's a guy that's experienced everything and, and is a veteran pitcher that can uh, impact uh, not just on the mound, but also in the clubhouse, right? I mean, what, what do they think Kluber has left at this point?
2: I mean, he's just been there and done that as you can have. I mean, the guy who won two Cy Youngs in the five-year period. He had a couple other top ten finishes. That's pretty good for a kid who – went to Stetson I mean that's yeah, pretty right. good yeah. um and you know he, he comes up out of a high school in Texas and goes to Stetson I don't know that you're thinking at that point this guy's going to win a couple size and <laughs> his name's on the outfield fence on one wall and the other one has Jacob DeGrom who also went there and also won a say Young so wow. hats off haha to the Stetson Hatters but
1: yeah, man.
2: uh I, look I think Corey Kluber is on a little bit of a mission this year and talking to him you know he had all those great years and then he had over the last three years, I don't think he's had the equivalent of one full season. He missed almost a full year with Texas. Uh, he missed a big chunk of the year uh, two years ago. And then he was hurt in the middle of the year last year. He threw a no-hitter, remember? And then he got, he kind of like was overextended. And then he missed a chunk of time in the middle of the year with the Yankees last year. And, and he hasn't said this in a way that is directly related to the Yankees. But he has said a couple times he came to the race because he wanted to be on a team that had a chance to win the World Series. So I I think Corey Kluber is pretty observant. And, and look, he has a relationship with Cash. Cash was the bullpen coach in Cleveland right about when Corey was going on that run of that incredible run of success. Uh, Corey Kluber lives in Tampa, represented here locally by B.B. Abbott of Jet Sports. So he's got some ties to the area. I'm sure it was convenient for him personally. Got a couple little kids. Mm -hmm. But I also think Corey Kluber is a guy who doesn't think he's done and thinks he can reestablish himself as one of the best pitchers in the game and you know, the contract is set up where it's an eight million base, which is not bad, but there's five more million dollars out there if he makes all of his starts. I think you're gonna see a guy who's pretty driven to take care of himself and, and do the best he can.
1: The bullpen, Mark, I mean, I you know, they haven't had that designated closer in a bit. Uh, do you expect them to kind of mix and match down there as they, as they have recently?
2: Yeah, I think this will be another year of them pushing the, the totals on, you know, 11, 12 guys. I think they set the record twice now, 11 and 12 for number of guys with saves in a season. And, um, you know, the option rule that MLB put in, we're going to call it the Lewis Head rule for this season. A player can only be optioned five times during the course of a year. Lewis Head was up and down 12 times last year by the Rays. and. Uh, So, it's also suspended for the first month because of the expanded rosters and the the rush spring. So, starting May 2nd, the guy can only be optioned five times up and down. So, they won't have quite as much flexibility as they have in the past, but I do think you're going to see a lot of guys get saves. I mean, certainly Kittredge is going to go, going into spring, I think he's going to be the guy they trust the most. Uh, The lefty they signed as a free agent, Brooks Raley, will probably get some saves. And then you got some of the longer guys who may get some of those three inning saves. But I I don't think there's gonna be the designated uh closer. I mean, Pete Fairbanks is hurt, he's gonna miss the first half of the season. I mean he maybe had the best stuff to be that guy, but I also don't think he still would have had that role. I think it was gonna be shared no matter what.
1: And I, I I mean, isn't shouldn't they just call that the raise rule? I mean, the you know, the the whole uh, how many times a guy can go up and down. I mean, wasn't that created to to try to discourage them from doing this,
2: it certainly seems like it was a targeted, uh, just a <laughs> targeted action. I mean, put it that way. They also <laughs> yeah. had a guy, Chris Maza, who, like I said, on the team now is was sent back. I think it was eleven times last year. So they certainly maximize it. Uh, and, and you know, look, I talked to Lewis Head. I read a story on him in September, and.
0: Yeah. I thought he was very candid. He said, Yeah, there
2: were days when it sucked and there were days when, you know, he literally was like still unpacking and he was told to pack up and go up, come down. Twice he was sent down and called back the next day. One time he said he just took an extra couple of days in Boston with his wife. They were out sightseeing and they're like, Have you left yet? No, good. Come back to the ballpark. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, but you know, on the other hand, Rick, I mean, he was pretty much out of baseball. He was selling solar yeah. panels door to door in Arizona before the season and the Rays called his agent and said, Hey, we remember him from last year. He was in camp with whoever it was, I think Seattle. And with the, he got released when the pandemic shut things down in mid uh, March of 20. Actually, they kept him on the roster. He was technically released in May, but anyway, got released during the pandemic. Didn't pitch in 20. So the race him before spring training 21. And, and to Lewis heads credit, I guess he told his agent, I'm not ready to throw. Can they wait a week or two weeks? Because I don't want to you know, embarrass myself. I haven't been throwing. I'm selling solar panels. I'm knocking mm-hmm. on doors, literally knocking on doors. I can't believe he sold any. He claims he sold a couple a day. I find that amazing that people buy solar panels door to door in Arizona. But anyway, <laughs> so, yeah, they, you know, they gave him, they said, we'll give you a week. He threw. He did well enough. They signed him. They brought him to Durham. He gets called up to the big leagues for the first time on his birthday, 33rd birthday, I think it was, something like that. So, I mean, yes, he got yanked around all last year, but he made more money last year than he made in his entire career previously, total any exactly. the big leagues and none of that happens if the Rays don't call him so you can say they kind of navigate the system and manipulate it but it worked out pretty good for the guy too right
1: well that's the thing he's in the major leagues he's pitching a lot he's making money and and none of that happens unless they're able to go up and down he's willing to do it because that that was his ticket there and I think I think more more players would love that opportunity and that's what that's what they gave them and so I, I do think that you know there's there's a lot of Rays envy when it comes to. They don't beat you with the twenty-five or twenty-seven guys. They beat you with the forty, uh, and 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 this is one way to kind of curb that just a little bit. My opinion. Nobody's nobody's uh, paying me for that opinion, but that's that's what I think. Um, I thought Steve listen, was paying you. Well, uh, yeah. Well, that's another thing we have worked out, but uh, that that does happen. Uh, I wanted I wanted to ask you and, and really just give me your your lines on on whatever pops in your head uh, about these two young superstars because. It's still amazing to me that we only saw Wander Franco last year for, what, 60-something games? Is that right?
2: 70 games. 70 games. 70, in
1: 70 games in the big leagues, and he was everything and then some, uh, what was advertised. Mark, what can he do if, if if he's able to play 162 or you know, play a full season?
2: I, I mean, I don't know, Rick, and, and I can tell you I talked to a whole bunch of people around baseball, a lot of raised people, who have a vested interest in answering this question for the – our, our baseball preview section that was in Wednesday's times and is certainly available online or in store still uh, for the next couple mm, days. And yeah. I wrote a 68 inch story. We don't get to write a lot of 68 stories, 68 inch <laughs> stories, Rick. And I wrote a 68 inch story basically where everyone said, we don't know how good this guy can be. We don't know what the comps are. That's I mean, they're right. mentioning Alex Rodriguez. They're mentioning guys like that. And it's like, wow, I don't know. Like, I mean, how do you know? I mean, he's a switch hitter. He yep. plays a premium position on the field. He has got kind of that that it factor. He loves nice. the spotlight. He loves to play. Yeah. I mean, there, where is the, the the restraint? There's no there's no reins on this guy, and all he wants to do is play baseball and win. They gave him this huge contract. It, look, that can change, and it does change guys over time, but the initial you know feedback talking to him, talking to friends, talking to people in the organization, nobody sees him you know big league, and he's showing up. Chad Matola told me last Sunday the hitting coach. They told the players sleep in. Nobody'd be here till nine o'clock. We're not even opening the clubhouse till then. So the coaches come early. They, you know, they get to use the workout room or something. So they want to get in there early. Chad said he was there at seven thirty or seven forty-five. Wander's like, "Can we go to cage? Can we go to the cage?" Like, Jeez. that's all the guy wants to do. He wants to play baseball and get better at it and win. And you know, the playoffs last year, they lost that last game in Boston. You know, the two guys that sat in the dugout the longest, watching the Red Sox celebrate and soaking in and realizing how horrible it was. They don't ever want to feel that way again. Shane McClanahan and Wander Franco.
1: No, that's not bad. That's that. That's the two you want out there. And um, I was going to say, you know, in, in all that he accomplished last year in a short time, here was maybe the most impressive thing to me, Mark. And you can you can comment on this. He did not shrink even one bit. He excelled in the postseason. You know, we we know players that can sometimes, especially a young guy in his first postseason experience. He was, he was the most reliable uh, at bat, in my opinion.
2: And, and, like, I think he wanted more. I mean, he I think he could have yeah. done more. He had a one-point, you know, four-digit OPS. I don't have it in front of you. He had a four-digit OPS in the postseason. Wow. Hit a couple homers, right? Had a couple doubles and yeah. played fine on defense. And, and, you know, it pissed him off. There weren't more games. So, yeah. I, I do think every everything that you could sit here and say you'd want to see from a young guy, who you're building your team around? Who you're giving the biggest contract in franchise history to? I mean, skill, talent, ability, desire, effort, um, personality. I mean, just like it's all there. I mean, he. Yeah. They talk about they used to call Willie. Ad- they used to call Willie Adams the Pied Piper of the clubhouse because guys just naturally gravitated toward him and followed yeah. him. And Wander's not anywhere near as outgoing as Willie was, but you start to see that now where. Like the guys just hang around. I don't. Think, I don't think it's just because they think he's going to buy them lunch. I think they genuinely like <laughs> hanging around him and they like being around him. And he's confident. He's upbeat. He's optimistic. He knows they're good, and, and he wants to make it all work.
1: I hang around you because you're going to buy me lunch, but that's another story. Uh, <laughs> the, the the other The other guy uh, who who I think was prone uh, marked to some streaks, uh, you know, both really good and, and sometimes not as good. But man, the power when he gets that, when he gets that bat flipping is Randy or Rosarena. Um, I also think he's a guy that we don't know where the ceiling is with him just yet.
2: Right. The only knock on Randy is he's 27 and he's only, he's only entering his second full season in the big leagues. That's right.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's
2: the only knock. I mean, and, and look, you know, he got his contract renewed. He's only going to make 716,000 this year, which is you know, only is always in quotes when we talk about pro athletes, but, you know, just yeah. barely above the minimum. And, Part of that is he doesn't have a lot of leverage. He's not going to be a free agent until he's 32 years old. So it's not like you know the Rays don't have to be proactive and, and give him a ton of money ahead of time like they did with Wander and even Manny Margot, who's right. 27 but has five years in the big leagues. But I, I agree with you that they don't know. They could be gambling horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. Randy Rosarino, Ernie's had the best postseason in baseball history in 2020. He won Rookie of the Year last year (laughs) in the American League and was one of only nine guys to be a finalist for both the Silver Slugger and the Gold Glove. So he's a pretty special player also. Uh, Loves the fans. You see him, he plays to the fans all the time. He loves the Mm. adulation. He loves to be cheered. That stolen base, the steal at home in the playoffs... Mm. Uh, last year. I mean I, I actually just thinking about it now, I don't know how I didn't include that on my list of twenty four greatest moments in race history because it certainly <laughs> was one of the most electrifying moments in race yeah, history. Yeah, uh you know, we're we're looking up was this the first time since Jackie Robinson. If you if that sentence is uttered in the press box, you wow. know something special really happened. So
1: yeah.
2: uh Randy Rosarena is definitely a guy that could have a huge upside. And you know, again, you you don't know if the Rays are gonna be right. They don't always hit on these guys. Sometimes guys get hurt. They do change. But if Wander Franco is almost as good as we think he could be, and if Josh Lowe is almost as good as the Rays think he could be, and Randy Rosarena is almost as good as he looks like he could be based on what's been a limited sample so far, they got some really good players who could be really dynamic forces for several years here.
1: There's no question. And and the old hat is still there as well. Uh, It seems like every year we talk about maybe this is the last year, maybe he gets traded. He's not traded. Kevin Kiermaier. Uh, has to be thrilled that he's still with his Rays team, at least for now, and still, still, for my money, the best defensive center fielder in, in baseball. He,
2: he said all the right things about Austin Meadows the other day, but I, I know Kevin Kiermeyer enough that I guarantee you somewhere bounced around in that the head and it was, oh, I'm sure glad it was him and not me. <laughs> so, look, there is no doubt. And, and, you know, Kevin Kiermaier will lose some playing time to Josh Lowe. There's no doubt about that. But Kevin Kiermaier in the opinion of the Tampa Bay Rays decision-makers, is still by far the best defensive outfielder in baseball, even though he doesn't get gold glove recognition. He doesn't get all-star recognition. But they consider him... I mean, just put it in this context, Rick. They consider him good enough defensively because we know the offense is just middling, and he doesn't steal bases even though he's got the great speed. So this is really based on his defense. They're paying him $12 million this year. I can go back and look, but there's not a lot of players in Rays' history who have had $12 million salaries that stuck with the team when their salaries got that high. And they're paying million million because he plays some of the best defense and just can dominate a game, can change a game, can save a game for their pitchers. So that speaks to how valuable they think he can be. And I think he will lose a little time during the year the, with the nod of keeping him healthy and having him available down the stretch and certainly into the postseason.
0: All right, Mark, you
1: wrote a story today about the Rays' motivation. Um, Look, when a team wins 100 games and wins the American League East again and and they're defending AL champs, I'm sure they're thinking in some ways World Series or bust, but it was sort of a shocking end to the season. They all are, but that one in particular. So uh, talk about uh, their motivation for this year and and, and how that might impact uh, the way they feel going into this year.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's one of those things, where if a guy says, you know, what motivated you this year? You know, they they typically say they're always motivated, they're always trying to win. But I do think this was a year where it stuck with people. And, you know, some guys talked about it. They use it to kind of fuel their workouts. They use it during the lockout. I mean, I I didn't find the, the great anecdote of somebody who, like, kept the video on their phone or, you know, changed their phone screen or something to be the final score which I was hoping I did find, actually. So if you hear about it, let me know. Um, but I, I do think that guys were, were driven. They were annoyed. They were pissed off. They win 100 games, you know, basically you know, arguably the best regular season team in franchise history, mm. and they get bounced by a wildcard team in the first round and don't even go the full series, get bounced in four games. So yeah. I think there was, there was a lot of annoyance. They got to the World Series in 2020. We'll never know what happened if Kevin Cash doesn't take out Blake Snell. We can all have our theories, but they did not win that World Series, despite the great moment of Brett Phillips and that craziness in Game 4. So, you know, they thought they were going back to the World Series, and then, you know, if you kind of suspend time for a second and say, okay, the Rays did get to the World Series last year, but everything else happened the same way on the National League side, I think they would have given the Braves a pretty good matchup. That would have been a pretty interesting series, and, and certainly one the Rays could have won. So, I think there's a lot of fuel there. The fact that you know Wander is now going to be here for a full year has them excited. And you know, if he has the kind of year they think, he'll be a major force in the postseason. Uh, and it changes the balance of how teams work against the lineup when there's that one guy they're trying to stop. So I, I think they are very motivated. I think they were ticked off. I think it, it carries itself. It kind of shows itself up in different ways with different players. But I do think there's a kind of a uniform sense that last year wasn't good enough and they need to figure out how to get further.
1: And it might turn out that uh, maybe the Red Sox were their Columbus Blue Jackets that the Lightning uh, were when they were eliminated in four games back in the day. Came back, won two Stanley Cups in a row, so you never know. Um, The AL East, Mark, I don't have to tell you, it's a a very tough division, uh, big money, big market teams. I keep hearing about one in particular seems to be the darling pick, uh, and and maybe the Rays don't mind being just a little under the radar, even though uh, they're two-time defending AL East champs, and that's the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, we know they're talented. We know they can hit. They've added some pitching. Um, they lost a good pitcher as well. Um, so how do you handicap the AL East? Uh, I, I would imagine the Rays will be in it for the distance. Um, there's going to be an expanded playoff. So maybe a situation where you have as many as, what, three, four teams coming out of that division? Yeah, I
2: mean, all the way it's set up now uh, with the expanded playoff field, there's going to be three wild cards. So you could make a case that all you know, the top four nationally – top four American League East teams all make it, that the division mm-hmm. winner – all three wildcards come out of there, and you know they're still using the old schedule format where it's obviously very division heavy, playing each other 19 times. It was actually a really interesting thing of all you know the different uh, online sites that all do their different projections, and they put it all into a computer and they run the season you know a million times and things like that. But FanGraphs came out with their Zips standings uh, this week, and it was really interesting because they have the four American League East teams all. Winning the same amount of games, a four-way tie at 88 wow I personally think that number's low. I think yeah. you know, the division winner is going to be in the nineties, but they're going to beat each other up. So I do think Toronto is kind of the chic pick right now, and people are jumping on them. But there's something to me about you know those teams that you know they get close, and sometimes you think, okay, we got close, so now we're going to take the next step. We're in there, and it doesn't always happen that way. It, Certain things went right for them. They obviously went through an incredible, taxing year last year, playing in three different ballparks, having to move, uh, dealing with the stricter uh, customs rules and the COVID rules, going in and out of Canada. So they went through a lot last year, and then they do have a great team, and they did do some things to help. But they lost Marcus Simeon, they lost Robbie Ray. Those were two pretty key guys on that roster last year. So I, I'm not as sold on the Blue Jays uh, as a lot of other people are, and I don't think that the Yankees like, have gotten better. I don't. I mean, I keep hearing people talk about them, but I go back and I look and I don't see what they've done that no. makes you think they're necessarily going to be any better. And the Red Sox like, made kind of like a panic move and they blew a ton of money on Trevor Story and they're going to play him out of position. So mm. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, sometimes you, you do get tainted when you're around Uh, a certain group of people, and you kind of listen to them talk a lot. But I I did pick the Rays to win the American League East in our preview section. I know our good friend, uh, au contraire, John Romano, did not. He did pick the Toronto Blue Jays, and they're certainly getting a lot of love. But I, I, I don't know. I just don't see where the Yankees and Red Sox got better, and I think the Blue Jays got better, but I don't think it's a given that they're going to be good enough.
1: Well, uh, John might have gone chalk or the, the favorite, but uh, I will say this, and, and maybe you'll disagree with me. Uh, no one's going to win the National League besides the Los Angeles Dodgers. They are loaded.
2: The only team that could challenge them, and, and this I almost contradict myself here, but you know they did more than get close. They've been in the playoffs the last few years, and they've got these pitchers that you don't even know who they are except one of them won the Cy Young last year, the Milwaukee Brewers. Mm. They're pretty mm-hmm. good. And their pitching is really good, and they've got some of the best bullpen weapons, Devin Williams and Josh Hader. That you, you know, we don't see them as much. The Rays actually played them twice this year, up there and down here, and mm-hmm. it'll be a good little preview. And you know, we mentioned Willie Adams uh, about four hours ago in this podcast, and he got traded <laughs> from the Rays over the Brewers, and he's an MVP <laughs> candidate over there. He really hit his stride and really did well over there. So I would, I think you're right that the Dodgers are by far the obvious pick in the National League. But I don't think you can just totally eliminate the Brewers as being a pretty good challenge. And, you know, the team the Mets put together on paper seemed really good, too. But, you know, we're seeing DeGrom and Scherzer both delayed by injuries early on here.
1: Willie Adamas uh, sparked that Milwaukee team. He really brought a lot of life to them as he did the Rays. And you're wrong. It's only been two and a half hours, not four. But we're going to let you go (laughs) because you've got a baseball game, a whole baseball season to cover. I know the butterflies are still there for you. Nothing like opening day at the Trop. It'll be a sellout, I would trust. Um, And, uh, yeah, follow Mark Tompkin all year, as you always do, for all your raised news in the Tampa Bay Times and on tampabay.com. Have a great year, Mark. Thanks. We'll see you out there Thursday.
2: All right. Sounds good, guys. Look forward to it. Anytime.